Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that obesity makes it harder to taste. And this is one that I actually, looking back as a former obese 300-pound person, I, I think it's actually true. There's a new study, and they compared siblings that were fed normal mouse chow uh, versus mice given high junk fat meals lost about 25% of their taste buds over eight weeks. And they think the taste buds went missing because the mature taste bud cells die off more quickly and fewer new cells develop to take their place. And they think it's because chronic low-level inflammation that's tied to obesity appears to be behind the, the, the loss here. And this comes from Cornell University. And each taste bud's about 50 to 100 cells, and they sense whether food is sweet, sour, bitter, salty, or savory, or has carbon dioxide, or has fat in it. And there's actually a few other things that most people don't know they can do. And they help identify safe and nourishing food and stimulate the reward centers in your brain, which is why foods with undamaged, proper fats in them actually taste so good. Uh, the tongue's taste bud population gets renewed regularly, and each taste bud only lasts about 10 days. And there are cells called progenital, <laughs> progenitor cells that give rise to new taste bud cells. Uh, they replace the old ones. So this stuff is happening in your mouth all the time, and you don't know it. And if you get obesity the way I did, this ongoing inflammation just causes cellular damage, not just on your tongue, but everywhere else. You see it more on your tongue because these are rapid turnover cells, which is kind of cool. So if you're a super biohacker geek like me, it's something called tumor necrosis factor alpha, or TNFA, seems to be the cytokine that's damaging taste buds. Bottom line is, if you're inflamed, you need to fix it. And if you're fat, you're inflamed, and you need to fix it just like I did. And it's not as hard as it used to be. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health/dave for an exclusive 10% off. If you like that kind of cool fact of the day and you like Bulletproof Radio, if you would take a second to go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, which will take you right to the Apple place to leave a review. I'd be really grateful if you left a review because, well, that's how people find out this is a show worth listening to. And I think you're going to like today's episode because today's guest is David Osborne. He's a New York Times bestselling author, a serial entrepreneur, a real estate investor, but not a small one, a speaker, world traveler, and the guy who talks a lot about building wealth, a father and a husband. And what I like about him, the reason he's on the show is he's actually got balance. I know him pretty well. He's become one of the largest franchise owners in one of the top real estate companies in the world called Keller Williams with about 4,500 agents and sales volume exceeding 8.5 billion. And he's founded, get this, more than 50 companies and at least 25 of those are ongoing profitable companies. So he's kind of a business rock star, you could say. I'm starting back when he was 16 when he had a lawn mowing business and just never stopped uh, so a, a fantastic, interesting human being. And he's on here to talk about uh, this work-life balance thing and, and also wealth uh, because uh, his new book is about wealth. And a lot of people ask me, you know, Dave, uh, what what's going on? Like I, I, I want to spend more on, on living to 180. And part of my mission is to live to 180 and to bring attention to things so that they'll become much more affordable, just like cell phones cost, you know, $25,000 when they first came out and now they cost a dollar. Uh, for a cheap one. And I want the same thing to happen for these anti-aging technologies. And in the meantime, a lot of people are saying, you know, how do I address this one of my uh, you know, Pavlovian needs, this, this I need to have enough so that I can, I can feel safe and, and I can do the things I'm here to do. 
that's what we're going to talk about here. So I think you're going to learn a lot about the mindset and about the techniques and things like that because David is is truly one of those guys who who succeeds and has happiness and balance. So David, welcome to the show. Dave, it's great to be with you. I'm a huge fan of Bulletproof, as you know, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. Now, did you think when you started mowing lawns when you were 16, did you have visions that you would run a billion dollar plus revenue kind of thing and start 50 companies? Was this like always in you? You know, I, I would say this. I wasn't a great student. I knew I wasn't going to be a professor. My dad was a Green Beret. I didn't want to go kill people. Um, I thought that making money was a fun thing to do from a very young age. I was I was a good worker. And when I meet guys that had paper routes or people that, you know, collected tin cans or people that were lawnmower kids, I always can relate to them. You know, I'm there. Yes, I was an ambitious kid. My my friends thought, well, he's not going to be the best athlete on the field, but he's probably going to do pretty well. But that said, it's not like it's been a clean path. I mean, you know, you, you don't, you don't make a decision to be in the major leagues of anything, whether it's health or wealth and get there unblemished. I mean, it's, it's, you just, I knew I was going to be successful at a young age. I knew I was going to commit to whatever it took to be successful financially. And I paid a heavy price to get to where I am today, but I wouldn't take it any other way. The price is just part of the, part of the process. Well, it's part of that price getting kicked out of school three times before high <laughs> yes. school. Well, you know, I think I'm unemployable, Dave. That's why I have my own company. Like no one would employ me. I was a little bit of a rebel without a clue when I was a kid. And my dad was, a, as I said earlier, a great beret. So I had no fear of teachers. Like they could say anything to me. And if I felt like talking back, I would just talk back. And I came from an English school and they had corporal punishment. So they used to beat us when we misbehaved. I don't think you ever hear that anymore in America and probably not in many places in the Western world. But I went to a school where we had a dirty Harry was a size 17 trainer. And when we misbehaved, we could get six of the best. So there was nothing really in American schools that put any fear into me. So I was I talked back way too much. I'm not necessarily proud of that. I wouldn't want my kids to do it. And three schools uninvited me now. That's private schools. It's easy to get asked out of a private school, but uh, it was just part of my journey. And, you know, taking all that energy I had and not conforming, I was never really a conformist. So I'm kind of glad that I did it, but I wouldn't want my kids to go through it. A friend of mine said to me one time as a young man, he said, you're like a jet airplane without a pilot. And so once <laughs> I <laughs> once I took that lesson to heart and I managed to sort of focus and get on the rails of success, I was able to achieve some some pretty good things. But I I don't think I could have been the guy that's been as successful without that kid that got thrown out of those schools. Uh, that is a, a fantastic way of looking at it. Uh, you, you say, though, that you paid a heavy price for your success. What's your heavy price? Well, people say to me all the time, I want your life. And I say, you may want my life, but you may not want to go through what I went through to get to where I am. And what I mean by that, Dave, is to be successful, I think you have to have a high level of integrity. And to me, integrity means with yourself, like what's working, what's not. You can't be delusional. And if you're delusional in business, you'll get destroyed, right? So you can be delusional with your buddies around how great you were in high school as an athlete or how great you were, you know, <laughs> as a salesperson or how great a husband you are. And they'll all buy it and buy you a beer for being so great. But in the economic world, if you're false or if you're untrue or if you're not doing what you say you're going to do, you're going to have failure. And so having had multiple failures in my life and having literally had almost a nervous breakdown when I was around 31, where I just couldn't function effectively for about six months, the process of going through that, I, I learned what it takes to be successful. And that process is what led me to the level of success I have today. So, and the run thing is to never flinch, you know, keep looking at what's working and what's not working. The pain I had was because what I was trying to do wasn't working. And namely back then it was, I would do everything equally that came into my sphere. So I would return all my calls. I would put desks together. I would go buy the computers for my office. I, and, and as I got busier and busier, I was working 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day. And I wasn't necessarily being effective. I was just busy. I was doing a lot, but I wasn't being effective. And the lesson that came through mostly from that was that just do the most high priority items in your life and let everything else fall apart. But you, if you let the high priority items fall apart, you're screwed. But if you let all the little stuff fall apart and you do the high priority stuff, eventually you'll have enough resources to get other people to help you pick up all the less important stuff. But that lesson, I just tell it to you like it's easy. And I know every business person has, has learned it. But it was a painful process that I went through to reinvent myself to be the kind of guy that could tolerate this level of success. And even to this day, Dave, I constantly ask myself, what is it I'm not seeing that's preventing me from getting to the next level? You know, like what what does Bill Gates know or Warren Buffett know that I don't know about taking my enterprise to the next level? And that's so as much as I've 
achieved so far, and many people might think it's quite successful. From my perspective, it's still just the beginning of what is possible. And the limitation for all success is me. And that's why I love Bulletproof so much is, you know, you're your own limitation. So the more you can get out of yourself, the more successful you can be. And so having a coffee that gets you kickstarted, having you know, products that help you like the glutathione force after you've had it, maybe you have too much to drink one night, you pop a couple of those, you feel better in the morning. So just having all these tools and hacks that keep you engaged and keep you moving forward is just part of that journey. I've given a good number of talks to like large groups of entrepreneurs and all. And one of the themes that I, I not heard somewhere else, uh, at least not in this way, but something that I've just come to realize in my own life is that your business is an energetic representation of your own energy. So like, like if you're in a bad place, whether it's you know, going through uh, an illness, uh, going through you know, family problems or you know, what, whatever it is, uh, it, it somehow shows up in your business even if you don't want it to. Right? So, so when you're like vibrating the right way when you're running in all cylinders, it's like your business does. And, and when you as the leader is like the force behind the company, if you don't have, I don't know else, but if you don't have your shit together, yeah, <laughs> your, your business yeah. won't either. Do, do you believe that? I mean, is that, has that been your experience? Life is autobiographical. I'm so glad you brought that up because as I was thinking about what to talk with you today about, one of the things I thought you know was paramount is that your life is a direct reflection of who you are. And so that's true of your business too. If your life's out of balance, if your wife is ticked off at you, if your kids aren't happy with you, or if your business is going bad, it's all a direct reflection. You call it of the vibration of your energy. And I would say it's it's what your consciousness is. It's what you've come to understand. Who are you? And who you are will be reflected every day in what you do. And you can fake that for a little bit. That's why it goes back to what I talked about, the path of integrity, or really just being true to you. Don't ever quit on you, but also don't be deluded by your own BS. You know, like if you're you know, be real. If it's not going well, admit it and go fix it. Don't be like, oh no, it's all going fine. It's going to be amazing. And then one day you're bust. That's what people do. So yeah, the vibrational energy or the autobiographical, the level of your awareness affects exactly where you are in life. One of the things that uh, most entrepreneurs do, they they get stuck under a million dollars because they're making that first mistake you talked about, which is uh, they're doing everything. Right, yep. they're not applying their uh, their their superpowers and the things that, that they're only they can do or things that they're best at doing. They don't ask for help. How did you learn that lesson? Yeah, so I was driving forward with success, and and uh, but I wasn't happy. I was miserable. Uh, I was working harder and harder, longer, longer hours, and I couldn't keep up with it. I had launched four franchises in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I literally uh, went to the. I had this sort of. I had this rash appear on my chest. I was like okay. 29, 30 years old. So I got shingles, which is a recurrence of chickenpox. So I go to the doctor and I'm like, Hey, what's this? Like, I, it hurts like hell. I can't sleep. It's burning. And he said, you know, it's, it's shingles. And he said, you know, the weird thing is people don't usually get that till they're 50 years old. I don't know why you at 30 year old had, and that was just stress. My life was so stressed out. I was so out of balance. And so, so, you know, I literally had a breakdown. Like I was like, wow, this sucks. I can't do this. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have to stop doing this. How did you know that that's what it was that that you were doing everything? Like did someone tell you that did you like med like like how would someone listening know? So first off I'm in extreme pain, right? So the okay. pain, pain. <laughs> the pain and also a girl that I thought I loved at the same time kind of like dumped me. So then I had emotional pain, I had physical okay. pain. Uh the businesses weren't going that great. They weren't going badly. They were just kind of mediocre. I felt like I, I couldn't pull all the threads of my life together. So I, it's hard to describe social, psychological pain now, 20 years later, when yeah. I'm kind of victorious over it now. But back then, I remember thinking, maybe I'm in the wrong place. I was feeling lost. I went to some of my business partners. I said, look, I'm out. I'm going to find a killer replacement for you, but I think I'm going to die if I keep being this version of myself. That's what I felt like. I was literally going to die. Back then, by the way, I wore the the French cuffs and the suits and the the everything like a a, a double breasted jacket. I was trying to be so much that I'm not. And then I went to a seminar run by a girl called Jacqueline Small. She wrote a book called Transformations. We did holotropic breathing, (laughs) which is Stanislav stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm like just doing this again, journey of self-discovery. And like you don't get to talk. You just hyperventilate and you see things and you draw pictures of it. And then later, after many hours, you discuss it. And they did a weird thing that I'll never forget. And it's really hard to explain, Dave, but they wrapped me up in a carpet and they had me crawl through it. Oh, I did that too. Oh, you did that too? (laughs) I I had no idea that you were this weird, man. 
I am weird, but I'm weird. But that's why, you know, it's a personal journey, right? Like I don't tell a lot of people this. I guess now I'm telling 10 million people on your show. But <laughs> what I got from that is they all sat on it. I squirmed through the carpet and I felt like I was born again. And what I realized was I was treating myself the way I would never treat a child. Like the way, the internal voice that yeah. I had that was criticizing me for every flaw I made, every mistake I made was unacceptable. I would never, if I saw someone talking to my kid like that, I would punch him in the face. Yeah. I'd, I'd kill him, right? And so I thought, why do I allow myself to talk to myself that way? And, and so this transformation that occurred was letting go of the negative self-talk, dropping all the B and C priorities, focusing on the A. And when I came back from that six months, you know, I worked all the way through it, but I was completely dysfunctional. When I came back from it, I started having more fun and getting better results. It was literally a breakdown to have a breakthrough. And all these little pieces, I tell you, the carpet, the holotropic breathing, were all little signposts that I just kept following the signposts. And that's why I say, if you never quit on yourself and you keep looking for Someone to show up to show you where you, even in the darkest night, you'll find wisdom and you'll find that little light. And if you follow that and allow it to transform you, uh, you your life can become victorious. I love it. And thank you for for sharing so openly on that. I, I've never talked about on the sh about this stuff on the show at that level. But when I was about 30, I went through a very similar, like maybe that's why we're friends, uh, mm -hmm. a very similar experience where I literally was like, I'd rather die than keep doing what I'm doing. Like, like I was in a relationship that wasn't working. Uh, I had lost, made and lost $6 million, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what I'm doing isn't working uh, on all these levels. And you just hit that, that kind of what it feels like rock bottom, even though it's not really like, you know, no, there's I, worse. And there's <laughs> much worse. Like there's worse. At the time, like I'd rather die, but the truth is not really. But but it's the story you believe. But that right. inspired me. I went off and I did a, a ten day personal development thing that had holotropic breathing and these rebirthing wow. things, and I That's figured cool. out a lot of my like uh, at the time I just I didn't form proper connections with people. And it's because when I was born, I, had, I was like choked by the umbilical cord when I was born. So okay. when you have like a very early birth trauma, there's predictable personality changes that happen until you go in and, and you heal what's basically an old trauma that, that no one intended. But, it, you know, it happens. And when you're when you're a baby, you have no ability to really think it's all just pure emotion. And that emotion like sticks. Yeah. So I did holotropic breathing uh, and 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 the same rebirthing stuff, a bunch of other things like that. And it was like, okay, wow, the universe is way more complex and interesting than I thought it would be. So I'm going to go do that. It's one of the things that inspired me to go learn meditation from the masters in Tibet and all that stuff. Is I'm like, okay, there's something going on here because I felt different. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also why we partnered with Stan Groff to do holotropic breathing at the, the Bulletproof Be Unlimited event. Uh, I guess in 2017, we did it in the Bay Area with about 150 people because like this is really powerful and you don't have to go take uh, LSD or mushrooms or anything, but it's it's a kind of a similar experience. Yeah, uh, and, it is. And for people listening, if you want to just have your mind blown, listen to the Bulletproof Radio episode with Stan Groff, uh, G-R-O-F. If you just Google it, you'll find it. And he's uh, 90, 94, something like that, still going strong and invented this kind of breathing for doing personal development. But David, I had no clue that you had done any of that stuff, but same timeline, same, you know, out, outward, outward success, inner misery. And, yeah. and, and do you credit that with what like kind of set you on your path to the phenomenal success you have now, or was it some other stuff too? Well, here's what I, I think you and I both have this peace that we never quit on in ourselves. So even as a youngster, like I, I just always came back to like, and I tell people this young people, I just don't quit on you. The worst thing in the world is when you quit on you. So it'll get tough. It'll get difficult. Life has suffering in it. There's almost no way around it. But if you quit on you, then you're really screwed. Um, so I would say that this transformation, and if you've ever, you know, and again, I haven't even talked about this, I don't think, except with close friends before in a public setting. But it was a massively transformative moment in my time, and it turned me into the man I am today that's able to have the success I've been able to have. Yes. Yeah. So from that point of view, I would say that the, the, what I learned in that breakdown set the stage for massive financial success in the future. I've relied on those lessons. Uh, I, I also had some mentors at the time. I had a multimillionaire coach who said, look, here's how I succeed in life. I write down the seven most important things I have to do every day, and I do the top three. <laughs> that's it. Like I'm like, okay, all right. Because, you know, back then, most people have this thing where there's a really important thing they have to do, but they'll do everything except yep. it. They'll go all the way around it. They'll clean their house. They'll do their mail. They'll call all those small clients, but that one big dollar client they're afraid to call or that one thing where they know they've got someone ticked off at them. Maybe they're, 
maybe they didn't sell a house or maybe they didn't write the code correctly. They won't do that piece. If you flip that switch and you do the hardest thing right away, every day, first thing, life gets so much easier. And so once I got that lesson embedded in me, I remember a partner of mine said, you know, you went away, Clark Kent, you came away from that seminar like Superman. It's like you went in the phone booth and you, and I don't think it was that instantaneous. I still went through some pain and some failure after that. But for sure, once I got it and I just applied that top three things every day, treat myself really well, be kind to myself, like treat myself like I'm my own kid. Like I would, don't let myself beat the heck out of myself, which is I think what a lot of us do. Uh, realizing too that the girl that I thought I liked really wasn't even worthy of me liking like that much, and, I, and she's a good person. We're still distant friends, but uh, I don't know what it was. It was more like she was divorced and had four kids, and I felt like I would just load everything up on my shoulders and carry it all. And once I let go of a lot of that, and I just became true to myself and true to my purpose and my goal in life, uh, yeah, everything shifted. I've never been quite the same since. That is uh, uh, that is so cool, and and just you know, thank thanks for sharing it so bluntly because all of the entrepreneurs I know who are at high scale and happy, and there are a lot of people who are at scale and miserable, right? Uh, but but the guys who are, are like you are, where like there's a zest for life. Um, other guys like Naveen Jain kind of comes to mind. He's just just he's been on the show as well. Just super happy and mission driven, and just like having a blast. Uh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. you just kind of have to hit that that rock bottom experience, or maybe you don't have to, but, but maybe it's possible to just do the personal development work. But I, I find even now Bulletproof is, is becoming a really successful company and I still have to you know do the work on myself every day so I can scale at the, the rate of the company. And if I, uh, if I fail at that you know, most important thing to do every day, somehow it just shows up, right? Well, that's why we were talking earlier about like um, continuing the transformative process. You have the 40 years of Zen that I'm extremely interested in. A friend of mine just did 10 days of silence with five hours of meditation uh, a day, which right? he's an introvert. I don't know that I could do that, but he did it. And, and he came back and he felt more present. Like it's constant, never ending self working on yourself because everything that stops you getting from that next level is all internal. And when we talk about family, it's so funny when I got married and I had kids, like everything I learned in business doesn't work in family, right? It's the exact opposite. So I can say to my wife, hey, get your hiking gear, get the kids. We're going to go climb that mountain right now. Just make sure you got. And she might just sit there in the chair and say, no, like that's not my experience in business. My employees all want to come with me. We're all going to climb this mountain together. We're off. But with your wife or your kid might say no. So it's like a flip switch. It's like the exact opposite. So then it's like, okay, how can I be of service to my wife? How can I be of service to my kids? What do they want to do? There's an interesting conversation. And so, but but you're not. What's the point of having success if you're not having all of success? You know, not just not just the money. It's got to be like a great, be a great dad, be a great husband, have great friends, make a difference in the world. And and so I flip the switch a little bit. And when I'm around my wife and kid, I try to find out what they want to do, do and then go fast down that road, whatever that is. It's a little different with families too, because you can fire an employee who says no too many times, it's, it's but your wife can fire you as easily as you can fire your wife. So there's a, there's a power parody there, <laughs> right? There's a parody that is unusually, especially once they you know, I think early on my my wife was a little bit, you know, the, the early in the relationship, they're putting their best foot forward and you're a successful guy. So they're kind of like, OK, yeah, you're you're the boss. And then after a certain point, they're type like, this is over. Let me tell you how it's going to be. You are no longer the boss. We are now right. equals. And if you don't pay attention to me, I'm going to make your life miserable. And then you have two choices. Do I work with this and become better at it or do I walk away? And some people walk away, but I choose to work with it and become better. Yeah, at and it. you're having fun doing it, which is into the we're having a blast. We're the closer we get, the more we fun we have. We're having a lazy day tomorrow. We'll just hang out, probably go to a movie with the kids and do absolutely whatever they want to do. That's that's what I do. And I just clear the whole day so that that's open. And I even leave my phone at home the whole day. So I don't even take it with me. So I have no temptations, no distractions. That is uh, that is something that very few people listening probably do. And I, I know that I usually bring my phone because I take pictures of my kids with it, but it's in airplane mode when I do stuff like that. And every morning, like I don't take my phone out of airplane mode when I wake up until I drop the kids off at school. That's great. So like I, I don't get a text message. And if, if something's really that bad, I'm pretty sure that like someone on the team will, will send a messenger to my house or I, I have no idea. It'd be hard to reach me then. But that's by design, right? Because we've survived for thousands of years without instant Without yeah. the phone. Yeah, I, I wish I could be as disciplined as you. I can't, so I just leave the phone. Yeah. If it's urgent, they know my wife has her phone. They can call her. She never checks it, so she's, 
you know, occasionally I'll be like, Hey, can I look at your phone? <laughs> just make sure nothing's going on back at work. <laughs> but I, if I take mine with me, I'm on it. So I just leave it at home. It's the best way to do it. And yeah, why, why be successful if you can't have it all? You're not one extra dollar. Isn't going to change your destiny, but having a broken relationship with your kids when you're grown up, that's going to change your destiny, you know? So I try to work on that as intentionally as I work on everything else in life. How do you avoid making the mistakes uh, that your dad made raising you? Wow, man, you ask good questions. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to have a 30-year-old daughter that I had from high school. So she's, uh, she's way older and she's taught me so much. And uh, I wasn't a really good dad back then. I was in and out of her life. I didn't have any money. I had nothing going on. It's a long story, but the bottom line is occasionally I'd find myself being like my dad. And yeah. my dad was forceful and aggressive. And I just after I caught myself with her being the same as my dad, I said, never again. Like that is not who I am. I am never going to rage. I'm never going to hit. I'm not going to get angry. Uh, and once I decided that like anything else, I became intentional about it. I dropped that piece of me. So I didn't, it never came back up, but still I can be forceful and demanding. And, and I think, uh, I just try to remind myself that I read a quote that I love once. It said, you are the bow your child is the arrow, but you are not the archer. So I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay. So I don't get to control where she's going. I just got to provide a framework for her to become whatever she wants to become or he or whatever. Uh, that is a really, uh, a really powerful quote. In fact, I will probably end up putting that up uh, as part of the, the teaser for the show because it's that good. Uh, I've got to digest that one. It's really hard with your kids because you want them to do what you want them to do. You're like, hey, why don't you become a super overachiever like entrepreneur? And she's like, I just want to draw pictures. And so what my dad would have done is said, put those damn pictures aside and you go back to school and get straight A's. What I do is I say, let's get you an art teacher. Let's get you the best colored crayons. Let's get you the biggest piece of paper and just go draw. God, I, I swear we must be related. Um, my daughter's doing uh, the same thing. You know, it's all about the drawing, and and so same thing. You get the best crayons you can find or colored pencils, and she literally drew a dragon the other day using Picasso style. And she's never she doesn't look at, at social media or the web. She doesn't know who Picasso is. And I'm like, did did you really just come up? I said, where did you get that idea? She goes, it just was in my mind's eye. And, and you're like, wow, like do what you love and and see what happens. Uh, but you better do your math anyway. So <laughs> we have some of that going on. Yeah, today. exactly. Well, kids are genius. And I, you know, I, I worry about the math too. Bella's not that good at math too, but I'm like, you know what? How good am I at math? I can do business math. I can do real estate math, but I can't remember calculus for one minute. I can't remember. I couldn't design a bridge to save my life. And so sometimes there's two parts of me, right? There's that part that's like, you got to do your math. You got to figure that stuff out. And then there's the other part of me, like there's a lot of entrepreneurs I know that couldn't add two plus two, but they do just fine in life. Well, it, it's funny because you talked earlier about how important it was to to do the things that are the most important, like the highest priorities, things you're really good at in order to scale yourself. Right. Um, but what they tell you to do in school is, oh, you're getting you know a D in that, you know, you're you're failing at that. Yes. So you have to put even more effort into it. So it's almost like we graduate from school with this idea that the path of success is to put the most energy into the things we suck at the most. Yeah, it's crazy. And and it and it seems like that's the opposite of of what works. I mean for. For me at Bulletproof, I, I just realized there's a few things I'm really good at that are my superpowers. And, and I religiously and relentlessly focus on those and just hire people who are 10 times smarter than me at, at, and have 20 years of experience in a field that isn't my core field. And man, it's, it's relaxing to do that. But man, if I'd have done that in high school, I would have barely graduated, right? Yeah, imagine if they said to Picasso, you brought him up earlier, like, okay, you're good enough at painting now. You've got an A plus in painting, but your math is terrible. So I want you to spend all your time doing math. That's what we do in school, right? So yeah. every kid is born a genius, but we tend to beat the genius out of them. Um, and so I, I have my kids at a special school called Acton Academy, and it's really designed to follow the kids' lead and wherever they want to go, which is what the Montessori girl said. She said, follow your kids from behind. Don't try to lead them or something, the Montessori lady but yeah, I think they do a great job of that. And, and I think we do beat the genius out of people. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And, and speaking of beating the, the genius out of people, uh, you talked about how, you know, you, you get mad at your kids the way your dad did. I went through this process. This must be like 20 years ago. And it was like a, a, maybe a 10 page document with just rows of behaviors on it. And they're like, go through here and just just say whether like this happened in your family or not, you know, all sorts of things, you know, yelling, you know, kind of small behaviors, really. Right. And you're like, okay, good. I, I filled out this, this row of X's. And then they're like, oh, go back through the list. You get to the end of this 10 pages of arduous work and you've thought about all these things. And they're like, now, 
say whether you do exactly the same thing or the opposite. Wow. And, and I was like, oh, after three pages, I just put it down. I'm like, all right, I get the point. Yeah. So either I'm copying my parents or I'm overreacting and doing the opposite of everything my parents did. And I think I had pretty good parents. Yeah. It's not like, you know, yeah. Yeah, my yeah. parents weren't monsters by a long shot. Uh, but like all parents, including you and me, like we make mistakes we don't even know about, right? And then, you know, our kids, they do their therapy when they're 30 or whatever. And like, they're, they're, we're going to screw them up no matter what we do. <laughs> right. It's impossible not to. But, but. but just knowing knowing that we do that and that you caught yourself, that that was kind of part of your practice. Well, you know what it is? And I think you brought this up a little. It's all about awareness, right? The success yeah. in life is about awareness. Like, are you willing to be aware? And so what I try to do is I know I'm going to make mistakes, but can I stop myself from repeating the mistake? I know I'm going to fall into stupid behaviors, but can I not repeat the stupid behavior? And so, you know, with my kids, it's the same thing of, you know, I have this yes philosophy too. If my kid wants to play, I try to just say yes. He says, I want, I want, I want to work with you in the, I want to go play Barbie dolls. I'll say yes. And it'll kill me. Like sometimes after 15 minutes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't play Barbie for another minute. (laughs) But instead of just ending the relationship, I'll say, okay, let's go throw the ball around. You want to throw the ball around or can we draw? Can we find a compromise that we both want to do? You ever try throwing the Barbie around? I find that works. Okay. With knives? Can we use knives? Knock it out of the air? So, uh, um, but it's just, you got to, you know, the awareness is like, am I being a good dad? Am I being a good husband? What works here? And uh, with my wife too, is like, what I've learned is I can't drive her the way I drive my businesses or anything else. The best way with my wife is to listen and be a good listener and not solve it. And I still fall into the trap all the time. She says, I don't need you to solve it. I just need you to listen. I'm like, sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? That's, you know, so you have to be aware of what works in the right context at the right moment. And there's a time to be a driven human being, but it's not when you're with your kids and with your wife. That's a different skill. And if you want to have it all like I do, because wealth originally comes from the meaning of abundance. People used to say, well, he'd be with you. It didn't mean money. It's become meaning of money, but it really means abundance. And you know, as well as me, if you want to live to be 180, or if you want to have an amazing quality of life where you're here, if you want to go to 40 years of Zen, these things cost money. If you want to fly around private, it costs money. You can't, you can't, uh, so money is only good for the good money can do, but your life can be way easier if you can figure out how to make money. And, and, but it's no good just to be a, a dictator at work and then come home and be a dictator with your kids and your wife and I see people all the time, their, their kids are grown up and they have, you know, addiction issues or they hate their dads or, you know, and that's, I don't blame them because it could happen to any of us, but you, you know, you just, you just, I want to do everything I can to have that not happen. So I'm doing everything I can to raise my kids in a loving, kind, warm environment. And if I screw it up, so, so be it. But I'm very conscious and aware of how I am as a dad, just as I'm aware of what it takes to get to the next level in my business. Now, David, it's easy to say that because you have essentially all the money in the world. Not all of it. So, so now, now there's people listening to this. Sh- no, I, I, but you know what I mean? You, you have more money than, than, than you need, yeah, right? I have plenty, yeah. Right, and uh, and, and that I've, I have a good number of people I've, I've come in contact with just through my work at Bulletproof who are in that situation. And it, it's awesome because it gives you so much flexibility and the ability to say, I'm going to take a day off. What advice would you have for someone who's earlier in their career? You know, they, they've got young kids, but you know, they're, they're working eight, 10 hours a day. They got to commute. Like, how would you translate yeah. what you do now to someone who, you know, is making ends meet, but not a lot more? So I, I don't know how to tell people that are happy. You know, I had a blue collar client who's a friend of mine to this day when I was selling and I always admired him because he seemed so happy and he made his 75, 80 grand and he would come home to his family and have barbecues every weekend. And, and to this day, he's that same guy and he seems very happy. I don't know that I have anything to teach that person. I probably they have something to teach me, Dave. I got nothing for them. But if you want to be ambitious uh, and succeed and 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 sort of break away, I know what it takes. And and one of the things it takes is you have to get lucky. I was lucky, yeah. and I, I and you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky. But you can never get lucky if you don't put yourself in a position to get lucky. I got a friend. I don't want to get lost on cryptocurrency, but I know a kid who just put all his money into cryptocurrency and now he's like 22 years old. He's worth 4 million bucks because he got into crypto early, right? And that could all blow up and I'm definitely not advocating crypto, but he put himself in a position to get lucky. And if you never take a risk and if you never start the business you're thinking of, uh, you can't get lucky. So my number one advice to people is quit doing stuff because you think it's the safe, smart thing to do. And and if you've got a dream or something you think could work, go give it a go. And I know when you have kids, it can be riskier and it can be more difficult. But what do you, what do you think is going to happen in the United States of America? You're not going to, the odds are low. You're going to live in a cardboard box, right? There's going to be people that are going to step up. They're going to show up to help you. 
So my advice to most people is whether you keep your job and start something at the side, you've got to be starting something because it's by going all in on you that you learn all the lessons that will get you to the level where you can break free and and have the success you deserve. And even when we talked about that breakdown earlier at age 30, like the lessons I learned from that, I'm learning, I'm applying on how to be a better dad. Like it's the same thing. Like, okay, what are the top priorities of being a great dad? Well, time is number one. So, okay, be fully present to my kid. Um, number two is paying attention to what they want, not what I want for them. So all of the skills you get by starting your own business, even if it's a side gig, what do they call it? A side hustle nowadays, Yeah. you, you know, that's where you change. And, and we talked about at the beginning, life's autobiographical as you change, your results will get better. So the other piece of advice I have to people is never mail it in, man. Just don't back up to the pay counter. Some people just mail it in. They they quit trying. They It's almost like they give up on them. Like I was a bagger. That was my uh -huh. first job. And I tried to be the fastest grocery bagger in the store. Like I, I would compete with all the other kids in my own head. I was kind of crazy, I guess, as to see who could bag the fastest. And I went to that same store just 10 years ago and this bagger bagged all my stuff. And I'm like, Hey, how you like working here? He goes, it's okay. You know, I, I just kill the day by bagging stuff slowly. And I'm like, man, you know, you think you're robbing the, the store and passing time, but all you're robbing is yourself. You ought to go back in there and try to be the fastest bagger you can possibly be. Cause it doesn't matter now in this job, but it'll be, it'll matter when you're the scientist that's cleaning up all the plastics in the ocean or a business guy that owns a business. That's when it'll matter. The habits you're creating right now of being the fastest bagger will serve you in the future if you'll just keep trying to go all in as hard as you can. And by the way, included in going all in is having terrible days where you feel like a putz and you don't get anything <laughs> done and you're like a slug. That's part of the deal. But what's not part of the deal is like staying there. You know, you yeah. have those days, but don't stay there. So that would be my advice. Just get after it. It's fantastic advice. And I wish I'd have known that. And a lot of what drives me to do Bulletproof is, is I started the blog, like the stuff I should have known when I was 20. Like if someone had just told me all this biological stuff, uh, neurological, all of it, like I would have, I would have struggled a lot less, but I, it was back in 1993, like before the web browser existed and all, I, I sold the first thing ever sold over the internet. It, it was a caffeine t-shirt sold out of my dorm room and it said caffeine, my drug of choice. And I hear it. I'm this, you know, fat kid. I'm in, you know, entrepreneur magazine, you know, my, my pimply red fat, uh, you know, face. Uh, that's like my the people like Dave, you didn't weigh 300 pounds. I'm like, did you see that? Cause like that doesn't look, it's a double <laughs> extra large shirt I'm wearing there. And at the time that that was, uh, that was done every summer, I worked putting auto parts in boxes, like because mm. it paid, you know, two and a half or three times minimum wage. And it was like, I can guarantee enough income to pay my tuition if I do this. But I was mm -hmm. sitting there and, and on a good day, I'd sit in the air conditioning part and file papers, just meaningless file invoices, like, like the worst job ever in terms of my naming. And I, I was just thinking to myself, what could I sell over this Usenet thing that's like pre-browser? Like, like not just t-shirts, but, and I, I was like, the ideal product is books. And, and I remember this to this day. Wow. And like the hairs <laughs> on the back of my neck stood up and I was like, this is like, this is a world. And I just, I knew I was like, this is so good. Right. And I live Ugh. 70 miles from Silicon Valley and wow. I could have just like, Hey dad, I'm going to, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be gone for a couple of days. I could have just gone and done it. And I didn't. Right. And, yeah. and it, that get after it advice. I mean, you can have those ideas, but when you're young, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> You know, I read, I read a great quote the other day, and I, I'm sad you didn't create Amazon. No, no, and, I'm glad, I'm glad Jeff Bezos did. I'm not complaining, but like, it's I, why was I putting parts in boxes is the point of that. Like, I had better things yeah. to do, right? You yeah, know, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I might have yeah. got my Absolutely. ass handed to me because I was a young, arrogant kid, and I wouldn't take advice from anyone because I knew better, right? So I, I probably right. would have failed if I'd have done that, but at least I would have done it, right? <laughs> Yeah. And you didn't quit on yourself either. So that's why you're at where yeah. you are today. You kept going forward. Yeah. I heard a quote the other day that I loved and I reminded myself, it says, don't be worried when people steal your ideas. Be worried when no one wants to steal your ideas. And I'm like, oh, that's a good point because we'll have a million ideas and Amazon could be one of them or selling books. And I have great brainstorms all the time and I act on almost none of them. Great ideas are not relevant. Action is everything. Yes. So when you have a great idea and you don't act on it, it's just useless. And people can be like, oh, I invented like the, you know, the child safety seat or something. Well, no, you didn't. You may have thought about it. I, I'm a, you remember that hundredth monkey concept where like yeah. you teach 50 monkeys how to open a nut and then the guys on the different island, they suddenly figure out how to open the nut the same way. Or like when a certain number of monkeys know the whole tribe knows. I honestly believe that goes on in life. There's got to be like a certain amount of awareness that's just percolating through the entire species kind of waiting for somebody to step up and do it. And whether it's bulletproof coffee, which like I said, what a great add to the universe and the energy you get from the 
from the MCT oil and the ability to function more and do more and invent more. I think I've heard you say before that you thought most of the great books were written by people hopped up on caffeine or uh, nicotine or something, <laughs> yeah. right? It just gives you a little bit of extra juice. It does. Um, you know, you've just got to take action at the end of the day. If you don't, somebody else will. Sometimes I think the world is just crying for this new invention. And it might be you that could be the the, the, the spear holder of that, the spearhead of that. And if you say no to it, then you miss every opportunity that comes your way. A friend of mine, an old yoga buddy, believe it or not, from the Bay Area, is a professor of intellectual property at Stanford. And a very, mm. very well-respected guy. Mark Limley is his name. And he actually wrote a paper about 10 years ago called like the myth of the, the myth of the lone inventor. And he showed that almost right. all of the great inventions, like at least three places on earth, they were happening within days of each other. And, and just yeah. like showed it, he's like, so like, we got a problem with patents where it's like, you know, if you file this first, but quite often the good idea, the time has come and it's all about execution, but they don't teach that in high school. They don't teach that even in, in business school. Sometimes ideas are, yeah, ideas are cheap. Some, a friend of mine was at an entrepreneur's conference with 4,000 entrepreneurs, and he asked the question from stage, raise your hand if what, if what you learned in high school prepared you to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> How many hands do you think went up? <laughs> not one. Not a single hand. There's not a single person that said, what I learned in high school prepared me for being an entrepreneur. There is something you might learn in high school. Um, Craig Handley, who I think is a friend of yours as well. You know Craig? Yep. Uh, through, through Joe Polish's Genius Network. Uh, Craig runs uh, Listen Trust, a, a big call center uh, down in Mexico. And uh, he's also uh, a semi-professional rapper in his other life who who uh, uh, taught me how to not rap. Uh, <laughs> we actually recorded a rap for Headstrong that was so bad that, uh, that I never published it. But uh, anyway... Yeah, I want to hear that. Come on Craig, now. <laughs> my, my whole team's like, Dave, please don't release that. I'm like, but it's funny. I'm so bad. Uh, anyway, um, Craig uh, did the 40 Years of Zen thing, and he, he posted about this publicly, which is why I can talk about it. He was like, I realized that all my success as an entrepreneur came from bullies in seventh grade. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe not all of it. I'm paraphrasing. But but the, the point is that a lot of entrepreneurs, in fact, I, I see this over and over in that program, um, there are people who had a a relatively rough time in school and just learn to overcome adversity. And I certainly, I mean, I had a lot of people uh, bullying me when you're fat and you're the tallest kid, all the small kids with something to prove are going to come after you. Right. And the fact that physics is in my favor. Great. So I never threw a first punch, but I threw more, more final punches than I ever wanted to, but it, it sets up a pattern of having to prove yourself and reactivity that can drive success, but it drives misery and success at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how do you drop that? But keep the, you know, keep the, I'm, I'm going to win. Uh, but it's not I'm going to win because if if I fall down, someone's going to kick me in the head kind of win yeah. <laughs> where I'm going to win because it because it matters, this sort of thing. Well, and, you know, I was military, so we went to 10 schools in 13 years. Then I got thrown out of schools. I went to eight schools from age 13 through 17. So I didn't have that. I got bullied some, but not that much, yeah. a little bit, you know, but I think I had that like, oh, new school. I got to prove myself all right. over again. Like I'm constantly in a new place. And then the second thing that used to annoy me, Dave, is not being a great athlete. As you know, I don't know if it's the same today because I think schools change a lot. But in my day, the athletes were the kings, right? So if you're a good athlete, you were the king. And I'd always be like, well, why don't they pick me to be on the first team? And then I knew why because they'd put me out there and I'd miss the ball or <laughs> I, I wouldn't have that athletic ability. My athletic ability was not something I could count on. I wasn't terrible, again, like many things in my life, but I wasn't great either. And so that used to just tick me off. I was a little bit of a smaller kid too. And I just thought, man, and I carried that burn inside of like, why not me? One of my favorite questions is why not me? Why couldn't I be Bill Gates? You know, why couldn't I be Warren Buffett? Why couldn't, but why could, why not me also doing all that while having a great, being a great dad, you know, while being a great husband. So all of that little irks from school, I think definitely is rocket fuel, but gosh, who do you think doesn't have that? Like everybody at some moment mm -hmm. has uh, moments they're treated poorly. And I think sometimes that's why it can be hard for the Uber athletes. Cause I have bumped into Uber athletes from my high school, the quarterback. And sometimes that if the success doesn't flow for them that easily, uh, they get a little confused by that too, but then they get an opportunity to have a breakdown, to have a breakthrough. So for sure, I think a lot of our propellants and our engines, you know, our motivations in life come from early childhood, you know, stuff. They do. That, that's certainly been my experience anyway. You said a couple of things that didn't make sense to me, David. Uh, you, you said you focus on what you're good at, you know, spend time with the family. But when I introduced you, you've started 50 companies and 25 yeah. of them. How do you do that? <laughs> well, uh, keep in mind that a lot of them are real estate. So, real, oh, okay. so I have I have 17 
real estate franchises. And then spinning off of that, we had, we just sold it, but we had an insurance company. Uh, we had a mortgage company, which we sold. We have a title company. So there's a lot of spinoffs that are in the same playing field. Okay. I have, I have my entrepreneurial adventure mastermind group, which is GoBundance. I've got my best selling book, you know, the, the wealth can't wait and all the intellectual property that built around that. I've just created a lot of stuff. I created a Spanish language school to try to teach Spanish uh, to immigrants in 2006, right before the crash that failed. I lost over a million bucks in it. Now I have a private equity firm. We're raising our first $200 million to buy real estate assets. You know, one thing you learn, you talked about it earlier. First is prioritization. The second is leverage, learning to work through great people. And so what I've been able to do is attract some really great people to my life that work with me and for me and and my number one goal to them is to help them win and, and their number one. And then I know that if they win, that I'll win. So my number one business goal, Dave, is to have five guys reporting to me that make over a million bucks a year. And the reason for that is when a guy makes a million, it doesn't matter or a girl, it doesn't matter what the number is. It just means they're self-motivated. You don't have to. I'm not looking for somebody that I got to wake up every day and say, hey, let me tell you what you're going to do today. Right. That's yeah. not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that are just like running as fast as they can in a direction. And I can say, hey, watch out for that pole. Don't run. Don't run on the black. I slow down just a little bit. And so because of that, I've been able to create a lot of businesses. Even the Spanish language school is because I met this kid that was working 70 hours a, a week and he'd work for this company and they were treating him terrible. I said, well, come on, screw them. Let's go start a Spanish language school. I'll, I'll back you. And cost, cost me a million bucks. But the kid still works for me to this day. He's, he's made me more than a million bucks easily in real estate now. And some of the deals he runs for me, he runs my single family uh, side of things. We bought and sold over a thousand homes and he's a good kid and we just had bad timing on that business. And so mm -hmm. it's all about the people. So it's, it's prioritization. Then it, you realize it's all about the people you work with and the better they are, the better your life will be. Someone recently said, I wish I remembered who it was, uh, something along the lines of, of the difference between millionaires and billionaires is that the millionaires ask how and what, and the billionaires ask who. Okay. Right. And in, in that you know, who who can do this uh, versus versus me. And and that's something where I think I call it profound laziness in, in my own case. Where uh, the, the flip yeah. side of that is, is, you know, laser focus on things only I can do. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, just just to be able to say, all right, you know, who who could do that better than I could and then find that person and make it worth their while so that not only can they do it, but you don't have to tell them how. Yeah. Right. And that's the key right there. And, and it's, it's called ambitiously lazy, Dave. So I'm, yeah. I'm ambitiously lazy, there meaning that I want to get to an outcome, but I want, I'm ambitious to get to the outcome, but I don't want to have to do it over and over again for the rest of my life. So I'm constantly asking who can do it for me. I find in life, I bet you find the same thing that even though I know I'm ambitiously lazy, I have a lot more work than you'd think I would have for yeah. an ambitiously lazy person. <laughs> uh, same here. Like people see my calendar, they're like what's wrong with you? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. But those are all the highest and best use of my time or it wouldn't be on there. And so what you do is you do what you love. And, yeah. I, and I know that the four hour work week, uh, Tim, he works a lot. He loves to work. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think there's really only four hours. <laughs> no, he's not doing four hours a week, but the key is to do what you love and yeah. nothing else. And that's the, that's the secret is do what you love and then let build the world around you. So the other stuff gets handled. Well, that that's a good segue into wealth. Can't wait, which is actually a really, it's a really powerful book. Uh, and you guys published that in, in April uh, yeah. of 2017. And in fact, I think that was the same month that Headstrong came out, actually. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, I have a picture with you. We're holding up our two books that's, uh, that's at right. the airport. Yeah, that was fun. In fact, yeah, I sent you a shot from an airport newsstand where your book was on the thing with with, with mine, if I remember right. That was that was kind of cool. Anytime you that see your book, cool. like in the wild, there's some kind of little like smile that it puts on an author's there face. Absolutely. Uh, but but in in your book, you talk about uh, freedom, right? And mm. and how it's really not about the money, but it's about the, the freedom. And how do you define yeah. freedom in, in the book, just the way you think about it? Yeah. The best thing about wealth is that it gives you freedom, right? So wealth is a, it's a synonym for freedom and freedom is being able to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, wherever and whenever you want, right? So, uh, for me, I, I always borrow the Steve jobs thing. I'll look in a mirror and I'll say, am I doing today something I like or don't like to do? Like, do I like it? And, and, and if the answer is no, I'll keep doing it for a few days, but I'm not going to do it for too many days. Um, and that's what wealth does for you. Give, now, there was times when I was building my stuff that I had to do for years and years and years, stuff that I didn't necessarily want to do, grinding it out and getting stuff and making stuff happen. But now, if I keep doing that at the level of wealth I have, that's stupid. It's just idiocy. And and what gets you there, Dave, doesn't get you to the next level. That's the thing about life. So learning to charge the hill and grind it out and gut it out is a very useful skill for you to get to a certain level. 
But to get to the next level, you got to learn to not do all that. Like saving money is a very useful skill in building a business. But if you're a multi multi-millionaire and you're still picking up dimes and you're being a cheap tipper, uh, what's the point, man? You got to, you got to <laughs> drop all those habits that got you there to get to the next level, which is being abundant, giving away money, like donating to charities and doing all those other pieces. So, so yeah, that's what to me wealth is, is freedom and just abundance. There's a bunch of people who are working on, on being free or, or being wealthy who are hearing us talk and they're saying those rich assholes. Yeah. Right. And, and in fact, I was actually raised that way. I mean, my 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 parents, you know, would like like kind of active hostility towards that. And and I'm like, um, hey, Dad, can I fly you somewhere? And he's like, no, you got to save money for the kids' family. And I'm like, Dad, come on, man. <laughs> like, like yeah. I, I think my kids are for kids' school, whatever. Like, you know, I I think my kids are are going to be okay. And I'm I'm in a good place right now. But I spent most of my life like, you know. Where my paycheck really matters, right? And if I don't have a paycheck for a few months, I'm really going to be in an uncomfortable position, like like the vast majority of us. And and uh, you know, the last few years I've been really fortunate, and so I'm I'm in a place where I have more flexibility and more freedom than I have before. But in your book, you're not saying you know wealthy people are better by a long shot. You're saying that by choosing wealth and, and just saying like opening up the opportunity for you to say, I, I'm going to do this and it's not a selfish act and, and there's nothing negative about it, that what you're saying yes to is, is freedom. And yeah. and this is a mindset that that honestly, most of us, uh, if, if you were raised in a middle-class uh, family uh, or if you were raised in a family that was, wasn't even middle-class, right? Um, there's, there's some sort of weird energetic vibe belief system that gets built in where it's like, it's not okay to do that. Like, like, like that's not for me. And, and I think what, what your book is working to do is to teach people that like, look, everyone wants freedom. And the path to do this is to open it up so that you, you can aim for and realistically achieve the chance to be wealthy enough to have the freedom you want. Yeah. It starts with you and we, you know, it, it's freedom and, and you're also choosing you. And if you, yeah, people, some people have said to me like, what do I got to do to be wealthy? I'm like, well, first you got to ask who have I got to be to be wealthy? Yeah. You got to change yourself. And having the breakdown we described earlier in the conversation, you know, and people are like, some people, I, I especially love aggressive people are like, screw all that. Just tell me what I got to do to be wealthy. <laughs> I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I tell you to do. Cause if you don't become the person that'll hold on to wealth and learn to let it manifest and grow in your life and really learn to put it to work for you, which is really abundance. If you don't know that, you'll just be like the, the, the NFL guy that got paid 70 million bucks and now has nothing or the rapper or the businessman that built it and then crashed. Or, or like, like it's that, all about who you are. The 26 year old who makes $6 million and says, I'll be happy when I have exactly. $10 million exactly. and loses it all. Like, like, I mean, the, the reason exactly. I wanted to talk to you about like this happened to me exactly yeah. what you're saying, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it happens to a lot of people. And it's because they're yeah. missing that that mindset thing that you talk about in your book. Yeah, that's where you got to start. And if you don't get that right, no matter how much it's annoying to think about, am I the person I need to be to be wealthy? It's it's where it all starts. You know, you got to... So, yeah, I mean, and you're and I journey, and that's why when I meet a guy like you, we feel like brothers, and I we, I meet a lot of yeah. entrepreneurs that have been through hell and come through the other side, and they're, they're like brothers because they've been through it, and they understand that you've had to shed a lot of the BS and really ask yourself the question, what do I need to do right now to get to where I want to go, and ask that over and over again and keep moving yourself in that direction, and there's pain involved, but at the end of this, once you cross to the other side, it's like amazing. You're like, oh, I'm in the promised land. I can do what I want when I want with whom I want. Price of admission is ruthless honesty with yourself and a willingness to keep getting back up, brushing yourself off and walking forward. And if you'll do that, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how stupid you are. If you keep doing that, you'll win. Brains does not determine success. It's that tenacity, that persistence, not quitting. How do you get help with ruthless honesty? I mean, it's easy to say that, but ruthless honesty is hard to do because your, your ego will intentionally hide the truth from you whenever it can. Yeah. Well, you told me earlier that you were a little awkward, did you say? Like, I think moving so many schools, you have a choice. You can pretend your life is amazing or you can make your life amazing. And um, I just don't know if it was a gift of mine, but I've certainly learned that the, the only person I'm ever fooling is myself. I can fool my audience for one night, but they all forget everything I said and they go home. I got to live with me. So if I'm pretending I'm working out and I'm not working out, I'm going to pay the price with cancer and sickness. If I if I pretend I'm spending time with my family, but I'm not, I pay the price with divorce and unhappy children. And if I pretend I'm doing the high priority items and my friends all believe me, but I'm not, my business will suffer and fail. So 
Yeah, I'm probably maybe even a little bit too blunt and too practical about that. But I'll tell you what, most of the highly successful entrepreneurs I, I've met, they're blunt just like me and they can relate to it. And you learn to just shed that nicety and that frilly stuff on the outside so you can get to that core of steel on the inside. And that's what you can build on. That's like a foundation you can count on. So, yeah, I, I delude myself sometimes, I'm sure, Dave, and I'm, I'm you know – the trouble is when you get wealthy too, a lot of people laugh at your jokes and they're probably not that funny and people will kind of flatter you and it's probably not deserved. But I also just try to keep pushing myself to a higher and higher level, being on your show, being around, you know, Joe Polish, being around, uh, Kiyosaki Buffett, you know, you just try to be around people where you're like, no, I'm just another, I'm trying to challenge myself constantly so that I realize I'm just another dipshit like everybody else. Yeah. You know, we're all the same. We're here for a brief moment of time. One of your guests said it once, like, we're just like a, a lizard. We eat, we poop, we die, right? That's the reality. So once you get that, you realize none of it really matters except what works for you and who you choose to be. And that's what I constantly try to harmonize with. Who do I want to be? What's next for me to get to the next level? Those are all really soft, uh, hard to explain topics. And you did a pretty good a pretty good job in Wealth Thanks. Can't Wait, just of, of helping to frame that. And it's frustrating to me because- it's relatively easy to say, look, have more mitochondrial function, do these things, it'll give you more energy, which equals more willpower, and you can do more. Because it's it's mechanistic, right? Yeah. And there's nuances, and it's not always easy, but like like we can do that. But when you're trying to uh, to say something like, there's this state of being, but you haven't experienced it, or if you did experience it, you don't know you experienced it. And this is kind of what it feels like. And, and it's like the whole history of, of like spiritual traditions. You know, th There's a reason in, in Buddhism, they're like, you know, imagine the Buddha doing this or like all these weird, like 42 leaf lotuses and, and stuff like that. And, and, or envision a globe of energy. It, it, there's a physical sensation that they're trying to draw out or, or a, a picture in your mind. And if you go into any of the, the Western religions, you know, there's, there's prayer practices and, and there's, there's all these things where we're trying to communicate a state of being that doesn't have a word for it. Mm. The word is ineffable, which means like there yes. isn't a word for it. Yep. And and so to try and explain this abundance mindset in a way that makes it so people can feel it is is actually one of the more challenging things. And God, I wish someone would have just communicated it effectively to me when I was in my twenties because I I would have suffered a lot less. And I'm I'm <laughs> grateful for the path I've been down. But God, like like all the dumb things I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I should be dead. But you you just hit on something amazing. Like in that conversation, I, a little light went on in my head, which is this. You talked about what? Travel, spiritual experiences. What people should do if they want to start tuning into this is they should go to a seminar or they yeah. should get on a plane and fly to Guatemala and hitchhike around. Because yes. every time you, stage, you change your state, you give the opportunity for new resources to show up in your being. And one thing I did that we never touched on, I hitchhiked around the world for two years oh, there you go. in my 20s <laughs> and on 20 bucks a day. And it's not as amazing and incredible as it sounds because there were times where I just was begging to be back in America to have a shower. But you also have to know that every time you put yourself in a new state and a new place that you're unfamiliar with, whether it's a Tony Robbins se seminar, 40 years of Zen or flying to Guatemala – Every person listening that is struggling in any way should throw themselves out of their comfort zone at least once a year. I do a bucket list adventure every yeah. year so that you can challenge yourself and you'll find more resources. And when you get comfortable with being challenged and more resources, it actually gets easier. Uh, well said. I mean, you you are a world traveler and I, I've managed to do a lot of travel on business. But if I hadn't taken that, uh, geez, a trip to Peru a long time ago to do ayahuasca with a shaman uh, before it was cool. And, and I hadn't spent those three months in Nepal and Tibet and Cambodia and seeing, you know, people who literally have a dollar a day if they're lucky and are happier than I was. I was like, I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, like yeah. you, it yeah. just changes everything. And yeah, you, we yeah. only think we have problems, man. <laughs> you meet people around the world. You're like, oh, you can't read. You can't write. You're 45, you're 45 years old. You have seven kids and you lost your foot in an agricultural accident. Right. And I'm going to feel bad. And you live on a dollar a day. Yeah. And I'm going to feel bad because what, <laughs> what, what, what would I have to feel bad about? I can't pay my taxes. What, like, what would I have to feel bad about and that level of, and then they're so beautiful. Their souls can be so beautiful and they'll smile in a way that, very few people smile with that level of authenticity. So you're absolutely right that, you know, that I guess I think that's what travel does for you. We're trying to describe an ineffable thing. But when you meet that one person who's making it go, even though they have all the world against them, 
that's the moment you're like, wow, I've got nothing to lose. I may as well go back and give it my all. So maybe what we're we're telling people who are a little younger than us, and and we're, we're neither of us is you know in in our sixties or seventies, you know we're 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 kind of mid career, and in my in my case, I'm just at the first ten percent of my career because you know, I'm planning to live a long time. But 180. No, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I'm following you on that, Dave. I'm All following. Right. You. Yeah, join join uh, join me. Uh, there's a there's a couple things that are coming out here. One is uh, when you're you're young. Uh, you you have nothing to lose, uh, so to speak. I mean, it doesn't feel like it when you're young, but you but like even if you go bankrupt, it's only seven years. Uh, like, like like that's yeah. like the at least in the U.S. And yeah. uh, so the the chances of you starting a company that does something big are not that high because you don't have enough experience to run it. So if you start a company, you should start a company because you'll learn something. And if you're smart and your ego's in check, you'll actually get mentors who will help you grow it the way like Mark Zuckerberg. How the heck does he do that? How did Mark Andreessen do this? Because as soon as they started companies in the early 20s, they had the wisdom I didn't have, which was go out there and find someone who's done it for 20 years and listen. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to you. you, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too good. And yep. you know, that was my own weakness. But it, so, so cultivate that level of humility to, to take advice and or uh, travel because it literally you can do it on five bucks a day once you're out of the country and and that kind of travel it will change you for the rest of your life and if if you don't do that i didn't do that really till i was i was about 30 uh and i just kicked myself for not traveling when i was younger because it would have just made me a better human being uh whether it had anything mm -hmm. to do with wealth or not so maybe that's the two big nuggets that come out of this episode yeah i agree travel go for it and and when you're young especially take the risk and become the person you were meant to be. And if you become the person you were meant to be, it doesn't matter if you have money or not, you're going to have a pretty fulfilling dang life. Uh, that's It's all about being happy, which is the ultimate abundance, not uh, not just having money. Although it's easier with some money. Money helps, but money alone is not enough. No. You can, I've seen miserable people with money. It, there's quite a few of them. Well, that, that brings us up to the, the final question of the show, David. Someone comes to you tomorrow and they say, David, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being. What are the three most important things I should know? What would you tell them? Wow, that's a great question, Dave. Number one is be purposeful. If you don't have an agenda for your life, every day somebody you meet will give you an agenda for their life. And if you're good at it, they'll keep you on. And if you're bad at it, they'll fire you. So number one is be purposeful and have an agenda for your life. Number two is keep your health, man. And that's why, you know, Bulletproof is so important to me and the work you and Lana do is just to keep us tuned into our health. You've got to look after your body. You only get one. The representation of your entire life's work is going to be based on the energy you have to apply to your life's work. So take care of that. Take care of your body. Take care of your energy. It's okay to go a little crazy, have a little too much to drink occasionally, but just don't do it every day. Just be, be respectful of this body, this energy, and understand your life will reflect that. And number three, I would say attract amazing people in your life. You said it just now. When you start a business, even if you fail, you'll find mentors. People like me, like like people that have helped me, they love people that are trying. And if you're trying, 100 people will show up to help you. And the winners yep. all have been where you've been before. So they're all going to want to reach back and help you. So attract great people around you. And the best way to attract great people is by being a great person. Wow, that is uh, something I have not heard in all 500 or so answers so far. But what a what an awesome third one! Best way to attract Thanks. great people is to be a great person. Awesome advice, and that's why I was hoping that that I'd get to get you on the show. And that's why I'm a fan of of you and just of, of your work. Um, you've got uh, big fans of you. Thanks. Oh, thanks, man. So you've got like fifty thousand things you're working on. Wealthcan'twait.com is your book website. Anywhere else people should go if they want to learn more about what you do. Go abundance. They can go to davidosborne.com. All right, davidosborne.com no has e. most of it. Or it's O S B O R N. Okay, you got it. Awesome. Well, David, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Always a pleasure. I look forward to uh, flying somewhere with you on your amazing plane. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Take it easy, man. I look forward to coming to visit you guys in Vancouver. All right. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to your favorite place and leave a book review or a podcast review. You can head to Amazon, go to the Wealth Can't Wait uh, book on there if you buy the book, and leave a review that tells David that uh, the time he put into writing this book, which I can tell you he did not do to add to his net worth. I did because he had something important to say. Uh, that that it was worth your time to read it. Do the same thing for Headstrong or The Bulletproof Diet or uh, go to iTunes and say that this, uh, this show is worth your time. I notice those things. I appreciate it. And thank you for your time in this episode and I'll see you on the next one.
A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.